<clears throat> Father, we pray that uh, that uh, wonderful truth, uh, that you are uh, alive and still amongst us, uh, will come home to us in a new way this morning. So speak to our hearts. Don't allow any distractions to dilute what you want to say to us. Amen. Well, that was the end of Luke's Gospel, and um, uh, we are at the end of this short series, this post-Easter series, when we're looking at um, uh, the Easter story through the eyes of Luke. Um, uh, It was taken from Luke chapter 24. I always encourage people to get up out of their seats, as Billy Graham would say, get a Bible and follow it as we look through it, because we're going to be looking at some of the things that happened um, in that final chapter of Luke. I won't tell you what page it is because if you don't know where Luke is then just keep keep looking. That wasn't meant to be a planned joke by the way. <laughs> um, but it's Luke chapter 24 and it's verses 36 through to the end. And today's passage from Luke uh, recounts the events of the uh, Easter Sunday evening. It's 48 hours after the crushing of the disciples' dreams. And you can sense in that reading an element of the confusion. I I loved um, um, these uh, uh, pictures. I know we uh, ought not read too much into it, but you saw the sort of uh, confusion that there was in the upper room uh, when these disciples met Jesus. And you can sense that there was confusion there. Last week we were looking at uh, the Emmaus Road and by the time Cleopas and his colleague um, uh, were leaving Jerusalem, it says in an earlier part of Luke 24, uh, that uh, all that they knew was that the tomb was empty, uh, but they, uh, him they had not seen, it says. By the time Cleopas and his friend come back to Jerusalem, something else has happened. Peter has seen Jesus. And uh, John chapter 20, which is John's account of these uh, events, tells us that here were the disciples gathered together in the upper room, the same upper room uh, that they had uh, celebrated the Passover feast on what we call Monday Thursday. They were gathered together, the door was locked because they were afraid of the Jews. Now perhaps they would have been in the upper room anyway. I mean, after all, these are people from Galilee. Uh, they, were, they didn't have their own homes to go to, so it's quite likely that uh, what we think of as just uh, hiring a room for a single event on uh, Monday, Thursday, uh, maybe this, they had a, you know, a, a, um, an Airbnb for three or four days, and maybe they would have been there anyway. But maybe, just maybe, this was an emergency cabinet meeting. Things are happening. What are we going to do? And they're all gathered together, uh, uh, trying to work their way through the crisis. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being involved in a major event. And, and you, 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 but, but what happens is that you, you first of all hear the news, and you're still coming to terms with that and thinking X, Y, and Z. And then something else happens, or some more information comes through, and you're having to change it again. And you can sense that this is the disciples doing exactly that. And they would probably have been split between stunned paralysis. Well, what can we do? And we must do something. We must get action going, whether it's running back to Galilee or whether it's um, uh, whatever it might be. 
something must be done. And that's the environment in which Jesus comes and how uh, very sensible of him to say, peace be with you, because peace was the very last experience that they were having at the time. They were confused, possibly wondering if there was any hope left. Uh, Indeed, uh, Luke records some wonderfully descriptive words. They were startled and frightened, thought that they saw a spirit when Jesus came. And Jesus said, do not be troubled, and why do you have doubts? You're getting the message there about this this, um, unpromising group of people, evidence that the, the truth was still dawning. Now, we'll come back in a moment to what Jesus said to them. But just to finish this uh, particular story, it says that after this conversation, uh, it suggests that uh, uh, Jesus took them out to Bethany, Bethany about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem, Um, significantly the place where Lazarus had been brought back to life the only other person, I think, in the Gospels where we hear of somebody coming back to life. Lazarus brought back to life, seen as a very significant place, certainly for the Jews who wanted to put Jesus to death because of uh, these things that were happening to him. Uh, But anyway, they went uh, uh, to Bethany and there he left them. Now, we know from Luke's other account, because Luke wrote two books, he wrote wrote, uh, Luke's Gospel and he wrote wrote the Acts, that this is uh, Luke's way of just ending one chapter and then you read an Acts, that actually he didn't go up to heaven um, immediately afterwards, but he stayed for 40 days and um, uh, taught them uh, many things. So what was important for Jesus to convey to these dispirited and unpromising band that evening and in the following 40 days? Well, there are two things that come out to me from this and from the parallel passages uh, in the other Gospels. The first is a true grasp of his significance as understood through what we call the Old Testament today. It's interesting that both at Emmaus and in this story that we've been reading today, he says he unpacked the scriptures and showed how the, what we call the Old Testament, what were then the only scriptures um, uh, for the Jewish people, he began with Moses and all the prophets and he interpreted for them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that happens at Emmaus. And it happens in the upper room as well. And it's very good that actually uh, we're going to be starting a series next week which will take us right through the summer of looking at the Old Testament, particularly the first few books of the Old Testament, to see what that has to say to us today. And it's very significant that we can only really understand Jesus if we understand what was prophesied about him in those first few books. So that's the first thing. It gives us grounds for a closer study of the Old Testament. But secondly, and this is what I'd like us to think about more this morning, secondly, Jesus spent the time ramming home the message that his resurrection was not simply spiritual, not a metaphor, not metaphysical, but was actual and bodily. Look at this evidence. First of all, when he went with Cleopas and his friend, Jesus was intending, it says in the passage, Jesus was intending to go on. 
but they urged him to stay. And what did he do when he stayed? He broke bread with them, something as if to demonstrate to them that he was not just a spirit. In the upper room in our reading, he says to them, one of the first things he says is, see my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So again, wanting to emphasize to them that they were not hallucinating, that this was not just mass hysteria, but Jesus was physically there. He then asks them for a piece of cooked fish. And apparently that's not because he was hungry. After all, he'd only just been at Emmaus and he'd had a meal there. So he was doing it in order to demonstrate that here was a real physical resurrection from the dead. In Acts chapter 1, where Luke continues his story, it says this in the very opening verse, it was for 40 days Jesus presented himself alive to them by many proofs. And I believe the only proof that we're talking about there is that he was really physically there. Now we know there was a spiritual body in a sense that he could move from one place to another. So it was not just simply a resurrection like it was with Lazarus, but that he was actually bodily alive and um, he was uh, with them in more than a spiritual sense. And then the last piece of evidence is Paul himself. When Paul went preaching and wrote his various letters, he wanted to emphasize the importance of the fact that Jesus was bodily resurrected. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, for, I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now that's a, that's a code word for saying, here's a creed, here's something that the early Christians were believing, um, uh, going way back beyond Paul himself. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So the bodily resurrection of Jesus is not an optional extra. It's very clear that Jesus, and for the, for the Jesus in the early church, establishing he, that he was uh, uh, raised from the dead in more than a spiritual sense was absolutely fundamental. Well, what are we to make of this? For some of you here, I suspect that if Jesus was God, there's nothing that he couldn't do, so you can accept uh, the bodily resurrection without trouble. After all, if God created the laws of the universe, there's no reason why he can't decide to suspend them, defy them. But for other people, there is a leap of faith that's needed. If God created the world and then became part of the world, then he had to be subject to the same rules uh, that govern the rest of us. So we need to look at what evidence there is for the resurrection. 
Now, looking for evidence nowadays is a very, very fraught thing. It's amazing that within the last 10 years, the idea of fake news has just left us sceptical about anything that anybody says until we can actually see the physical evidence. And uh, what can we do with something that happened 2,000 years ago? Well, here's the good news. The good news is that fake news gets proven to be right or wrong over the passage of time. The scripples in, uh, um, uh, in um, uh, Salisbury, you know, it's taking us time to establish the facts. And the advantage of fake news is that it gives it to you instantly and they hope that then they can um, uh, use that before you've actually realised what the truth is. So there is some hope for us being able to find out whether or not there are grounds for believing the resurrection. We're going to look at three this morning. Three grounds which don't prove that Jesus was raised from the dead, but they do leave us with enough circumstantial evidence to say it's the most likely of all the explanations that there are. Take the first one. There's the empty tomb. Now, the claims by the early Christians could have been strangled at birth by the production of the body. Neither the Romans nor the Jews, who had an interest in quelling this new revolution, neither of those groups brought forward any evidence uh, to put uh, uh, the story to bed before it actually got out. Then again, if the tomb had not been empty, the disciples wouldn't have chosen Jerusalem, the very place it all happened, to announce the news. Sensible people who wanted to spin a story would have gone back to Galilee. That's where Jesus had made his name. That's where they came from. Nobody in Galilee, even though it's quite close to us nowadays because of transport, nobody in Galilee would have been able to prove or disprove what was happening in Jerusalem. But where did they do it? They did it in Jerusalem. And if the story had been invented, if the disciples had got together and said, right, okay, this is the way we're going to make something out of the person that we respect, even though he's dead, they would never have said the, told the story that women had found the empty tomb first. Why not? Because in Jewish law, uh, the testimony of women was not accepted. Women were subhuman in that respect. And so therefore, if it was to prove, uh, if to be proved to people, they would have made sure that people like Peter and John and others were the first to discover him. So it's not a very good story if they were going to invent it. Let's look at the next piece of evidence, the transformed disciples. We have to ask ourselves, could the disciples have taken the body and concocted the story? Well, to believe that, we have to believe that they would have been prepared to die for what they knew to be a lie. We have to believe that this dispirited and leaderless group could have transformed themselves and also kept a united front, spreading the news that we're going to tell this story to more people than could ever have been kept online, on message, in the same way. Again, I love the, uh, uh, the look of those disciples, those um, uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the filmed version 
um, uh, of our reading. Not the sort of people that could transform the world. And that's what we're talking about, fishermen. Just common people, as it were. Uneducated people, it says in Acts. That's what surprised the Jewish people uh, when they had such power. Could that transformation have happened if they had just invented it? And the suggestion that they were all hallucinating flies in the face, A, of the fact uh, that hallucinations do not have a common theme to them, and so therefore the fact that they were all telling the same story suggests that this was not just in their imagination. And secondly, the fact that the Gospel account actually emphasises that they had a bodily Jesus with them. And the third piece of evidence is the evidence of the growing church. The evidence of the explosive growth of the early church with tens of thousands coming to faith in a matter of years. In the 1 Corinthians passage uh, where we were uh, uh, just looking at it, I received and I passed on to you as of first importance, this is very early stuff, Corinthians probably written in about A.D. 60 to 70, that sort of time. It's stuff that Paul had heard previously and then had received from the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Very hard to believe that those three things, the empty tomb, the transformed disciples, the growing church, has any explanation other than the fact that Jesus was actually physically resurrected from the dead. So it's not scientifically conclusive, but I think it's the most plausible explanation that's available to us. Okay, now we ask, why, why is this important? Why does it matter? Is it a piece of theology? Because we're members of the Church of England, we need to believe this, but then we carry on, it doesn't make any difference. No, if you look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, when he's just mentioned that, um, uh, the early creed, just look at this, he says this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So for the early Christians, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead validates everything else about Jesus. It makes the cross a significant event, not just a good man dying uh, as an act of sacrifice. It says, this man has risen from the dead, Therefore, all that he said has to be listened to carefully. Now, here's the tragedy. Most people outside this church don't really care to look at the facts. I believe that if they did, even though it could not be proved that Jesus raised from the dead, they'd have to be wrestling with the most improbable truths. But for most people, they know enough about what they think they know about Christianity not to need to dwell deeper. There are enough misrepresentations about what Christians believe. There are enough 
scoundrels or fallen human beings who are leaders of the church for them to be able to say, that's okay, I know about religion. What they don't recognize, it's not religion, it's a relationship. And it's a relationship with the living God. Jesus, raised again. The Holy Spirit making Jesus alive. Now how can we change this? How can we get people interested in looking at the claims of Jesus? Looking at the evidence? Well, we can't bang the Bible at them. But what we can do is to follow the example of the early Christians. Because the early Christians were changed people. Look at these uh, contrasting verses that there are in this last passage of Luke. They were startled, frightened, troubled and doubting. And what happened? Well, by the end, the last few verses, they were worshipping, joyful and blessing God. And that happened when? When they were clothed with power, when they met the living Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And it was their continuing walk with the risen Christ that caused others to want to know more. And that's our challenge today. Ask yourself, if somebody looked at you, would they want to know more about Jesus because of who who you are? This is not a time for beating you around the head for not being a good enough person. But if Jesus is actually walking by your side, if he is the one who helps you to determine what to do and what not to do, then people can't help but notice. Now, and I think that uh, the resurrected life that we are called to is the best way of proving that there is life after death. Jesus walking alongside us. Especially, perhaps, for those who are going through hard times. I had a conversation with somebody on the way into church who's clearly uh, struggling with things. And if in the struggle, Jesus is real, people will see that person copes with struggles more competently, more powerfully than I do. And this is not just a New Testament message. My reading for the morning in my daily readings was from Psalm 27. And here... David says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. So he's been a personal God in the Old Testament as well as the New And he's a personal God now. And I have to ask myself, is he Emmanuel, Jesus, walking with me? Does it make a difference? If it doesn't, then other people are not going to be interested on the facts of the resurrection or not. If I do, then there's hope uh, that he will become alive to them too. So maybe a little time for reflection, Jeff, before we carry on. Let's just... um, have a moment of asking, is Jesus a reality walking beside me? We don't need to call him and ask him to come to us. He is there. We just need to ask him to turn our face in the right direction.